What a joy to be with you uh, today. It's my first time in Brisbane. Been to uh, Melbourne a couple of times, Perth, Adelaide, uh, New Zealand, but this is my first time in Brisbane. I've seen a little bit of the city, and uh, what a beautiful, beautiful city you guys are in. It's just, just wonderful to be with you. Um, also, my privilege to share with you this morning, like Clinton said, I'm from a, a church in South Africa or that started in South Africa called Doxa Deo and then expanded to a number of countries, Germany, uh, in Stuttgart, in London, in the UK, in uh, New Zealand, in Auckland, and uh, just a wonderful, wonderful joy to be a part of the global family of God. So I bring you greetings from the Doxa Deo and City Changes family. And just want to say thank you so much. We've had a great time this week. It's been just wonderful to also see what God is up to here in, in this beautiful city of, of Brisbane. And uh, it feels like some of the, some of the tensions between uh, South Africa and Australia has been settled this week on the cricket field. So I'm also glad about that. And uh, you know, we can all play fair and, and uh, all of that. But I won't say anything more about that. But... <laughs> Uh, yeah, so uh, any case, all that, just to say it's just wonderful to be a part of what God is doing. God has just given us an incredible opportunity to, uh, to be a part of what He's doing. So what happened with Doc Sodeo, which typically happens is, you know, God just pours out His favor on a church. We're part of a denomination that's over 100 years old uh, in, in the South African part and, and just experienced just the favor of God and just saw an explosion in church growth, a number of churches established. And then typically what happens, another other churches, you know, would kind of say, hey, can we, can we, you know, learn a little bit of best practice from you? Are you willing to share with us? And, and we've always felt, you know, uh, we've received this and, and, and we just, you know, would, would love to just bless the larger body of Christ and the, the kingdom of God. Started to share and out of that, City Changes was birthed. And uh, God started to open up uh, doors for us around the world. I brought a little bit of a map for you, just where God is currently um, uh, favor, giving us favor around the world. Now, what, ha what helps on this map is if you have some sort of a pres presence in Russia, it makes the map look quite a bit more impressive. So, <laughs> so, uh, but all of that just to say, it's just been wonderful to see God in a lot of different countries, just... Just wonderful to see, and, and what is fascinating is when you start to move a little bit global and you see God having the same conversation with His people all over the world, whether that be in, in Germany. Just the other day in Germany, we had uh, 17 cities, the leadership of unity movements of churches in 17 cities in Germany together where these 17 cities are asking the question, what can happen if we as the church started to work together to see what God can do in that city. And this is post-Christian Germany. So it's like a miracle, right? This is just, it must be God if that happens, especially with the Germans as well. So it's post-Christian Europe, it's Germany. There's a lot of things that works against that, but God is for it. So it's just wonderful to, to see that happen. We, have, we basically do four things just in our, in our engagement in different countries. We connect with people that, that we build the network, we convene them together. And then there's this coaching process where we establish these learning communities. And then there's a capacitating. And those are just some of the, the, the processes that's been running in a number of these countries. Now, uh, as part of this journey, what has happened was that as we reached out to a number of countries, um, uh, there was this church in Florida in the U.S. that uh, ran into a little bit of trouble. 
This is an amazing story. This church started with two people in Las Vegas, right, of all places. God knows, can anything good comes from Las Vegas? So uh, these two guys are in Las Vegas. They sense God speak to them to go and establish a church in Florida, right? So it's, a, it's, it's, it's a little bit of a drive. If you know the U.S., it's, it'll take you a couple of days, right? So they drive down all the way to Florida, get there in Fort Lauderdale, looking for a place to start a church, and all they could find was a funeral home, all right? So there where life's supposed to end, they start the church, so plant the church there, and amazing things happen. God just gives his favor. This church starts to grow. Fast forward 30 years later, this church, about 30,000 people, eight campuses. It runs services Saturday night, Sunday morning, 9, 11, 1, Wednesday evenings. It's just the largest Christian school in America, uh, orphanages, radio station, you name it. I mean, this, is, this church is humming, and God is doing incredible stuff. And the next moment, the leader of the church, uh, well, it, it's not a moment because it actually happened over time, and he had a moral failure. And it was just terrible. It was, it was a terrible situation that happened. It was so uh, incredible that they had to let him go. And now where do you find a leader for such a church, right? I mean, so someone that can step into that leadership, that was just a nightmare. And so Billy Graham's oldest grandson, uh, Stefan Chavidian, he was the chairperson of the board. And he said, well, okay, so he facilitated the process. They chose one of the, the guys in the church. This guy was leading all their orphan foster care ministries. He didn't even preach every Sunday. And all of a sudden, he was now the leader of this church. And uh, he was a uh, God help me. <laughs> he was in over his head completely. And then typical like the Americans would do, they say, okay, who's the best guys in the world that does uh, you know, church on this scale, and uh, let's get them in the room and get some help for this guy. So they started to call around, found Alan Platt, the leader of Doxero in Africa, flew him over. He started to help, and um, one thing led to another. In the end, they asked city changers to come alongside to coach this leader and then to help them to develop a new vision for the church, sort of a, a reset. You know, where do we go from here? God has been good to us. Then we had this incredible crisis, but where do we go from here? And uh, in that journey, I've been privileged to spend 18 months with them developing a strategy, asking God, what did you say to this church? Because here's the, this was the thing. It wasn't to kind of tell them what we did, you know, with Docs today in South Africa or in some of the other countries. It was kind of saying, hey, what has God gifted Calvary Chapel, Fort Lauderdale? That was the, that's the church's name. And how can we help that leadership to be the best Calvary Chapel, Fort Lord, and not to be something that they're not, but be the best to what God has created them to be. And we saw just um, a wonderful, wonderful miracle take place. The 18 months ended at the end of, end of uh, 2018, and 2019 was the first year where they implemented this new vision. So I brought you a little video just to celebrate what God did through this, this church, um, and you guys can, can maybe get the video ready for us uh, just to show you what, it's just a short, I think it's a little bit more than two minutes what God did through this church in the last year. Yeah, let's give God a hand. Isn't it wonderful what God can do, how God can out of pain just restore this church? It was just such a joy to see that when I saw the video about a month ago uh, in Florida, I was just so excited just to, to know that, you know, God can, God can not only answer our prayers, he, he can often exceed, right, doing beyond our, our wildest dreams or what we can, what we can, what we can do. Um, or even trust him for. So in this journey, part of this journey has been our personal journey as a family. And uh, I'm going to share with you today around a theme. And uh, the theme that I want to share with you is going to be something from my, our own journey, 
sharing some of those lessons, but also just from, from what I believe some of the principles that God has been teaching us. And uh, so the title would be Seeing and Entering God's Kingdom uh, in Babylon. Now, uh, I don't know about you, but, but what, ha- what happened to us was we, we kind of found ourselves in, in Florida, uh, in the U.S., and um, part, of our, part of our journey has been to, to discover that, uh, you know, the, the community in the, in the U.S., where we are, um, is not as, as Christian <laughs> as we were kind of used to. So it felt a little bit like, like Babylon, it felt a little bit like, oh my gosh, you know, the, the kind of overwhelming uh, theme of culture has been, been really not, not very friendly to our Christian, Christian faith and, and engagement. And um, what we see in Scripture is so many references of Babylon being the antitype of Jerusalem. And Jerusalem, you know, being the city of God, over 200 times in the Bible it's positioned. And you see this Jeru uh, Shalom almost, right? The name of Jerusalem, the city of peace. And that, that Shalom, that word Shalom, which is just a wonderful word that speaks about not only the absence of war, uh, but actually about completeness and wholeness and tranquility and, and all those things that God ha- have in mind for a city. So I truly believe that that, uh, you know, the, the kingdom of God has some of those aspects that, that God um, has for us. So I want to start by taking you to John chapter 3. And uh, in the beginning of John, um, there's this scripture where uh, Nicodemus, right, he engages. And um, what's fascinating about Nicodemus is he was a, he was a learned man in those times. And uh, if you've seen that portion in the first five verses of John, you will see that Nicodemus chose to uh, approach Jesus at nighttime, which was really interesting. You know, it's as if he wanted to be a little bit sneaky. He didn't want to kind of admit <laughs> you know, to the other guys that, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to consult with this guy. And um, so it's interesting how Nicodemus had a particular view and a particular approach and how Jesus encountered him with kind of the opposite. So, so Nicodemus comes and, and he says, he says um, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher and that you come from God, for no one has seen the signs that you do. So this is the guy that says, listen, I'll believe it if I see it. So I, I saw some signs, and because I saw some signs, I now declare that you are from God, right? And then Jesus, what I would have done, if I was Jesus, I would say, well, thank you very much, Nicodemus. It's so great that you acknowledge my ministry, and you know, it's, it's wonderful to see God move and do uh, incredible things through me. And, and now Jesus doesn't even, he doesn't even acknowledge it. He just goes straight for the kill, and he says, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So Jesus said, listen, if you're not born again, you wouldn't be able to see the kingdom, because you are looking for the kingdom of God in signs and wonders. You are looking in the wrong places. You are looking with an eye that is not a born again eye. And um, so this kind of confuses Nicodemus, and he's kind of, oh, all right. So um, then Nicodemus answers him, and he says, listen, um, how can I be born again? Right? Can I now go back? We all know the story. And then Jesus said to him, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. It's fascinating. You, first, you've got you to be able to see it, and then you've got to be able to enter it. And, and so we were kind of working with this. How do, we, how do we see the kingdom of God as born again? How do we, how do we enter the kingdom of God 
uh, in, this, in this journey. And I want to make it really practical. So I thought what I'll do is um, let's unpack this a little bit. And uh, uh, I want to do that by sharing our personal story, the story of my family that actually moved to Fort Lauderdale in Florida about four years ago. So as part of the Doxodale City Changes expansion, we had, um, you know, God did a couple of things, and then we moved and relocated from Pretoria and South Africa to Fort Lauderdale there in Florida. So I brought you a picture of my family to at least introduce them to you. This was uh, uh, really formal on my uh, 50th birthday, which was... Uh, not too long ago, and, uh, I, uh, uh, and um, what was interesting for us is the fact that uh, my wife is slowly but surely becoming the shortest person in our family, which um, as the kids grow up, and, and it's just wonderful, but we found ourselves there in the U.S., right on the bottom there in Florida, in what we would see as Babylon. Now, the reason why that felt to Babylon like us was very interesting. As we navigated this journey, um, the research showed us that 78% of the people in that area of South Florida would, on the, the government census, say, I am a Christian. And we thought, well, that shouldn't be too bad. And then uh, we, we kind of looked around us and we realized, but, hey, there's some mistake. Maybe, maybe that government official, you know, that calculated, maybe he made a couple of mistakes. Maybe he, was, maybe he wasn't there and someone else just guessed it or whatever. There must be something wrong here because 78% does not equal to what we say, see around us. So George Barna was contracted in and he did some research and he found that if he asked the population, have you ever made a decision? Have you ever you know, said, I want to I be a Christian? That percentage came down to 40%. So sure, it still feels a little high. And then we asked seven basic like Christianity 101 questions. We kind of asked, do you believe in Jesus Christ? Do you believe the Bible is the absolute truth? You know, like really 101, not a higher grade, not you know, postgraduate. Entry level, seven questions. That percentage came down to 3%. And we suddenly realized that in terms of discipleship, we're talking maximum 3% disciples in a region that would claim 78% Christian. And now, we, now it started to make sense why this feels a little bit like Babylon. I mean, it's like, it's, it's really crazy. How can it be that so many, so many people there do not really you know, live it out. And we, and we realized, but listen, this was an under-discipled area. In any case, so in this whole, this whole journey, as a family, we had to make sense of this. And we said, God, how do we see your kingdom? How do we enter your kingdom? And how do we advance your kingdom here in an, a society that does not necessarily welcome and reflect, you know, Christian thought and thinking? And uh, God took us to Jeremiah Chapter 29. I'm going to read to you a portion in Jeremiah uh, there that speaks about um, how, how Jeremiah the prophet spoke to the, the, the people of God. And he says the following. He says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all who were carried away captive, whom I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem to Babylon. He says the following. He gives them these cues. He says, Build for yourself houses, dwell in them, plant gardens and eat the fruit, Take wives and beget sons and daughters, and take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands, so that they may bear sons and daughters, that you may increase there and not be diminished. And seek the peace of the city where I have caused you to be carried away captive, and pray to the Lord for it, for in the peace of the city you will have peace. So in the journey, we, we, we immediately realized that there's some keys in here 
This is the, the Jerusalem, the, the, the people of God that's in the city of peace being carried away captive into uh, Babylon. And they find themselves there and they don't know how to deal with this. And they were then actually confronted with the prophet Jeremiah that gave them. And he gave them three particular keys in that portion of Scripture. The first one that I want to share with you was this whole idea of trusting God in Babylon. Trusting God. When you, whenever we are in our journey with God, it's fascinating how God wants us to trust Him for our everyday. I was kind of wondering about this. Why would God want to do this? Because He already knows everything we need. Why should we pray and actually let Him know what we need from God? And, we, and, and it's as if God says, no, I want you to build this, but I want you to do this in um, in total dependence upon me, because he goes on in verse 12 and 13 of that portion where he says, then you will call upon me and pray, and um, I will listen, and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. And I had trouble with this, because I said, God, how can I search for you if I have now seen the kingdom of God, and I have entered into the kingdom of God? Um, are you playing hide and seek here? What's, what's happening here? Why? What's, what's the deal? Where, how do I seek? And then God took me to a next piece of scripture in the book of Acts. And uh, this really helped me to understand what God says. And, and, and listen to this, where he says, what he says in Acts. He says, And he made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on the face of the earth. And he's determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings for this reason, so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him. Again, the seek thing. Though, and then he gives the cue. He says, though he is not far from each one of us, for in him do we live and move and have our being. As some of your poets have said, we are also his offspring. So I kind of discovered, oh my Lord, it's as if God is saying, listen, this seeking that I, that I told the people is not for you to go and seek me in some materialism or wherever. What I'm actually telling you is that you will find me not far from you. You will actually find me inside of you. Made me think about a term in, the, in old, in, in, when we came from South Africa, they had a television station that was Channel One, and then the one, and they said, Simonier, we are one. It's like this this total like oneness thing that they, that they were communicating. And I realized that, you know what? There's nothing that can separate me from the love of God which are in Christ Jesus. When, when I realized that Jesus paid the full price, all distance has been, has been canceled. It's all been removed. In Him can I live and move and have my being. And now my journey with God is that I can trust Him for my everyday um, needs and I can talk to God about that, and I can live in this dependence of him, on Him because God is with me. So the question I was faced with, we as a family, was God is with us, are we with God? Because here's the deal, sometimes we feel like the presence of God is not with us. I don't know if you've, if you've felt that, so I, was, I grew up in a church, and in this church we used to sing this song, and the song said, reach out and touch the Lord as He passes by. And we were, my family, my parents were always sitting here in the third row. And I was always wondering, uh, is, as God is passing by now, has he already passed us or is he still coming up? Uh, where, where is he now in the journey? As, as if I wanted to reach out and touch the Lord as he passes by. And I realized, well, maybe the song was kind of a little bit misleading. That, you know, God is not passing, you know, right there. But maybe God is more in me, and I, I need to find him here. And then I started to wonder, but why does it sometimes feel like I'm in the presence of God 
in the church, but when I go out on Monday and Tuesday and I'm confronted by building my house and, and doing what I do, I don't sense God's presence as much. Has, is God now left? Is He no longer inside of me? Maybe He's inside of me on Sundays in church, and then on Mondays or Tuesdays, you know, He kind of gets busy uh, with other things, and then He leaves me, and, and I'm on my own. And I realize, no, 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 no. God doesn't change. He's the same all the time. Maybe I'm changed. Maybe I am not aware of the presence of God in my life every day. And maybe if I can discover some of that, that God is always with me, He will never leave me, He will never forsake me, He is in me, in Him can I live and move every day, I can have my being. And we had to discover that in our journey. So the second thing that we discovered that God was saying to the, uh, through Jeremiah to the Israelites in, in how they should handle themselves in Babylon was, he said, hey, you, gotta, you guys got to establish strong relationships. You got to take wives and let your sons and daughters be married and increase and become, become a part of the, the community. So uh, in this journey, we kind of uh, now moved there, and then we saw very interesting things. Um, one of the things that we saw was that our children were starting to now engage some people, and we were kind of, all right, God, so now maybe it's good to start to pray seriously about who will marry our children and you know, all of that, and just trust God for all of that. But more than that, we also discovered that God placed us in a community for a particular reason. So this preacher came to town, and he wrote this book called The Art of Neighboring. And uh, in this book, he had a little diagram where he positioned uh, himself, and he said, if you look at your house and where you live, and you just count, there's probably about eight people living around you most, most of the time, and the question that he asked us was, how many of those people's names do you know? That's all. Not how many have you shared the gospel with, not how many, just how many people's names, and then he referenced Luke chapter 10, where in Luke chapter 10, it's, it's very obvious that the guy asked Jesus, how will I inherit eternal life? And he says, you should love the Lord your God, and then you should actually love your neighbor as yourself. This guy had this ridiculous idea where he actually said, um, what if neighbor actually meant neighbor? Um, you know, what if, what if neighbor wasn't all these, it might include people that I work with and gym with and all of that, but what if neighbor also meant my neighbor? Right? What, if, what if it was just as simple as that? And I started to get to know my neighbors, and we realized People were with us, but our question was, were we with the people? That we engage the people that God has placed on our path. And entering the kingdom of God and, and moving in the kingdom of God was related to us embracing the people that God is embracing, loving the people that God is loving. And He doesn't love them because of what they do. He loves them despite what they do. And if God can give that same love to us, we can live out that love on a continual basis. So that was just a wonderful, wonderful opportunity. And then the third thing that we discovered was to engage our city. In verse 7, he says, Seek the peace. Oh, um, is, it, is it thunder and lightning you're in the. <laughs> uh, someone said you've got to preach a storm. And then, uh, so is it in your. <laughs> I'm sorry. There we go. A little better now? Okay. I'm going to put it up here. There we go. Okay. Sorry for that quick commercial break. But um, so uh, the, the issue was, how do we engage a city? How do we bring, how do we seek the peace, this wholeness of our city there in Babylon? How do we do that? Where do we start? And um, then I read this portion in, in 1 Peter where he says, 
Make the master proud of you by being good citizens. It's God's will that by doing good, you might cure the ignorance of the fools who think you're a danger to society. Have you ever discovered that? That kind of like, uh, you know, people think you're, as a Christian, you're a danger to society. And here in, in 1 Peter chapter 2, it's in the message translation in verse 13. It says, hey, why don't you start to do good? And then you can actually help these people to see that you're not a danger to society. And then he continues and he says, treat everyone with, you meet with dignity, love and respect and um, revere God and you know, respect the government. And uh, he was giving some real good handles for us to say, listen, this is part of how we engage the, the, the process in Babylon. And then we went to Romans chapter 14. And Romans give us a little bit of a framework to see the kingdom of God come in our society. So I have this little diagram that I want to just um, uh, show you where he speaks about um, Romans 14 verse 17. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And asking, could it be possible that we can trust God for the lostness of our city? Trust God for those 3% to actually become a 6% and a 9% and, and actually people discovering their true identity in Christ. Can it be possible that we can, that we can bring the peace, the wholeness in a broken society, broken education system, so many areas of society that need that? And can it be possible that we can actually be used by God to actually bring some healing where there is really pain? And all of that. And the question we were faced with is God is calling on us. Are we calling on Him? Are we praying? Are we seeking the peace of the city that God has called us to? It's been a fascinating journey for us to see this. It's really been wonderful to see how God has took, took us from right. Listen, I'm with you. You can seek me. I'm in you. I'm in you every day. I'm just as concerned about your everyday needs of planting and providing for your family and some of those things. It's not as if that is, I'm not interested in that. I'm with you in all of that. I'm with you in your relationships as you start to reach out to people around you and start to connect and start to share the love of Christ. But I'm also with you as you start to seek the peace of God for the city where I have led you. And then we find this incredible verse in Jeremiah chapter 12 that we all know so well where he says, For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord. Uh, thoughts of peace, of wholeness, of tranquility, of shalom, not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. And how many times have we quoted that verse out of context, right? And just think that this... this this hope that God has for us is not related to anything else. But this verse actually comes right in that passage where he says, Listen, I want you to actually plant gardens. I want you to be productive every day. I'm in your every day. I'm not just interested in your Sunday. I'm interested in your every day. I'm with you every day. I'm interested in your relationship. I'm interested in your calling towards the city. And as you embrace all of this, I have a hope for you. You have a future because the kingdom of God, righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit will come to your city and you will sense that hope. I love the song that we ended with that said, My hope is built on nothing less but Jesus Christ. And just again understanding this hope is a person. This hope is Jesus Christ where he, that He has for us. And as we embrace God and as we embrace Jesus and what He's done for us on the cross, we get to this point where we can actually be the salt and the light in our community. And we can see the kingdom of God come in our city despite it feeling a little bit 
like Babylon. Maybe at times you feel like we're such a minority. We're such, there's so little of us, and, and it's so secular, and it's so anti-Christian around us. And maybe in all of that, you know, God is positioning us for a miracle. Maybe it's something like Gideon that had just a remnant of a small group of people, and God could do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think. I want to pray for us and then just um, end in that way. Thank you very much. Father, uh, what a joy to just know that you are with us. I thank you so much, Lord. It's so wonderful to know that nothing can separate us from, from your love. Nothing can separate us from your person. You've paid the perfect, complete price on the cross. We can know you, Lord. We can know you in our everyday. We can, we can know that you are with us. You're concerned with our jobs, with our houses, where we live, what we do, our relationships, and also our calling to bring your love, Lord, and faith and hope to our cities, Lord. We thank you for that. Thank you that you are with us. I want to pray for everyone that's here this morning. Father, I want to pray that they would discover your presence with them your presence in them, and that you would never leave them. I want to pray, Father, that they would discover the calling that you've placed on their lives. I want to pray, Father, that they might excel in that and that the favor of God will be upon their lives. And we thank you for that. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.